What is up, you radical human? Today in the studio, I was joined by Justin Lovato, who is a breathwork guide from a pro bodybuilder. Back in the day, Justin was juicy and strong, tipping the scales at almost 300 pounds of pure muscle, one of the first fit fluencers of our time, and is now helping people navigate more of the internal territories of mind and heart through things like breathwork. So we had a pretty fun conversation. We go all over the map here. We hear about anxiety and how to overcome anxiety using breathwork. We hear Justin's take on pornography as a very low vibrational behavior and how it might be impacting your life and also some tangible tools in order to transcend those little traps or destructive behaviors. And this time we have some callers on the show who call in with all kinds of questions um, from implementing healthy routines, habits and products into their home, but meeting maybe a little bit of resistance as we implement those and the growing pains that come with it. And also um, dealing with headaches, grounding, finding presence and a bunch of other stuff. So without further ado, let's get into the show. What's up, you beautiful human you? Welcome back to the show. Today, I have Justin Lovato in the studio. Justin, I'm super excited for this one because we come from very different backgrounds, different countries, but in a way, I've been listening to a lot of your stuff recently, and it feels like we've been kind of spiraling in the same universes, reading the same kinds of books, going on a similar but different journey. So I feel like sometimes you meet someone or you hear someone and they're resonating with you on kind of like a soul brother from another mother yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of kind of vibe. And I feel like that today. So I'm, I'm excited for the listener because I think we're going to drop in and, and have a good juicy conversation. So take us back, like set the scene first before we get into like who you are now and what you do. Like everybody's got a story and mm-hmm. I love story. And you've had quite an interesting story. We we're talking about it a little bit before we hit record. Yeah. There's this whole history of like a, a past life or several past lives of yeah. bodybuilding and all kinds of stuff. So Paint the picture, man. Let us uh, bring bring us up to speed. Yeah, no problem. I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, a town called Canadagua, only like 11,000 people. And, you know, I was big into sports, mostly wrestling. And so after I was done wrestling with school, I found myself, um, I mean, I was always in the weight room at a young age, but really in the weight room quite often. And where I was from, not many people were training in the space that I was training in and oftentimes I was asked if I was in competitive bodybuilding if I was doing anything in that realm and at the time it was a it was a no I was really interested in it I didn't really consume um, bodybuilding material so it didn't really um, interest me but it, it kept being asked and eventually I kind of got into it and around age 25 I moved to California and uh, I pursued bodybuilding for another five or six years but I did competitive bodybuilding at a pretty good level from age uh, 20 to about 32 years old Mm -hmm. and um but you know for me i uh bodybuilding was almost like a meditative thing i was one of the few bodybuilders at that time that was smoking weed and training and i would be posting about it on my social media i actually used the hashtag light and lift (laughs) and uh, for a lot of people this was very foreign Um, most people you know couldn't conceive of smoking and going into a gym and having a good training session uh, but for me, it was allowing me to really have powerful muscle mind connection, get really lost in the sauce, so to speak, during my sets and allow me to connect in a powerful way. And at that time, I was just not really paying attention, but I was having these wonderful meditative sessions during my bodybuilding. So it was a really great, great way for me to connect with my body. So uh, fast forward uh, a, a few years into my 30s, I, I started actually getting into uh, plant medicine. 
which allowed me to become more self-aware of self. And uh, that really catapulted me into really understanding how I wanted to be of service. Uh, I'll back up a little bit, but from age 20 to 25, I, I actually got into the service industry and I was a developmental aide for the mentally challenged. So at a very young age, I was already kind of helping people in need in certain ways. And, you know, that definitely went into uh, my PT service because on top of bodybuilding, I was personal training and, you know, holding space and now this space. Uh, and I wasn't really working with a lot of competitors. I was more so working with people that were really looking to make change that were nervous to come into the gym. And I was like essentially a safe space for these individuals to come through and start doing some wonderful work uh, on themselves. So when I got into plant medicine, there was one specific, it was my first DMT experience around age 33, um, where, you know, I don't know if you've done DMT yet, but it's a wonderful experience where, you know, you, you really become nothing, nobody, just pure consciousness. And I, I went to this space of nothingness and there's this wonderful um, beautiful feminine essence entity that was right next to me and she acknowledges me and then I acknowledge her and then she starts to fill me up with tremendous amounts of love and she fills me up and fills me up and fills me up and then she pauses for a moment and then she acknowledges that I am very familiar with this love and I sat with it for a moment I go yes I know this love and then she goes that's good and then so she fills me with more love and more love and I burst into nothingness yet again and she pauses yet again and she goes, and you're familiar with this love? And I go, yes, I know this love. And I remember feeling so good that I really did love who I am. And I, I loved where my heart was and where I came from and where I operated from. I really do love myself and how I've gone about this world. And she says, that's beautiful and that's wonderful. But I would like to let you know that most people in this experience have no idea what that feels like. And that was a big shock to me. I, I almost had a, a level of ignorance, which is unfathomable, I would say, in some, in some ways. But I had no idea that people were suffering um, due to the mind. Mm -hmm. and, and I became really curious, why was that? Why were people suffering due to the mind? And what wasn't allow them to be at peace? And so I started asking you know, questions to myself, like what allowed me to you know, not fall into mind movies, what allowed me to kind of stay present um, throughout my life, keep my childlike presence into my adult years, well into my adult life, what allowed me to do this. And so I started kind of getting curious about why people suffered, obviously, uh, from the mind, but most importantly, the, the identification with the mind and the identification with their experiences, their, their more intense traumatic ones. And, um, you know, and I grew up in you know, what many would call an abusive household. Uh, my stepdad was, uh, he didn't know how to um, manage his, his own emotions and was very reactive. And, and because of that, you know, it was a very tense environment, you know. And my older sister, she didn't do very well in this space and has had trouble most of her life. And my other siblings as well, you know, with addiction and whatnot. So I, I really was like kind of looking at what allowed me to not kind of take on the energy, so to speak. And, you know, I, I realized that, you know, we're born into this world with childlike wonder, childlike presence and curiosity. And when we're put in situations that are unsafe, um, the mind really creates this thing called the ego, which which gets in the way from us being truly present, fully here. And and um, and for whatever reason, I was I was able to never lose that level of childlike presence, not only through my childhood during these powerful, intense moments, but well into my adult life. 
And because I'm able to exist in this level of presence and, and more specifically as a child, I was able to see my stepfather who was doing these things with love, with compassion, with empathy, forgiveness, and grace. Um, and I didn't create a story around um, myself as unworthy or unlovable or a burden, which is what most minds do when they're put in these situations. So, yeah, and that really inspired me to kind of start figuring out how I can help people no longer identify with the mind. And I realized it's through the power of presence. And so I started really um, understanding powerful tools or modalities that I can teach people essentially to become more present, to open that window, that portal, so to speak, that allows loving awareness or consciousness to flow through, to allow us to receive this download, so to speak. And, uh, you know, through conscious conversations and teaching these modalities, I've been able to really um, help people in profound ways. It's really cool that you had this... Um disposition that was inherently not so self-identified with the mind because i think one of the mistakes we can make a lot in life is to take a little bit of personal truth and apply it as a universal truth so like you then reflected much later is like oh wait a minute everybody's not like me mm. and to go like actually no most people are suffering mm. most people are suffering with a very harsh inner critic yes like if you watch the language of your own mind and how cruel it can be for many people they would never treat other people in the world like they treat Correct. themselves. It's very mean. It's very scathing. It can be very nasty. So I'm very interested by the modalities you're helping um, people discover to kind of um, loosen the grip on that and slowly find out maybe who they are underneath all of that. But I'm also very curious about why you think that is. Because it's a to, to talk about this ego, this thing, why do we have this mm. harsh inner critic? What What is it? Why do people forget it? You, you said something that I think is very powerful and very true. I'm a parent now myself to a four-year-old and my wife mm. is about to have another one and children are very pure and then they forget slowly mm. right they lose it slowly and then it becomes this task of remembering yes and it's not necessarily learning anything new it's remembering remembering what forgotten. yeah yeah so how have you wrestled with this like what is that ego and why is it so negative and why is it rooted so much in scarcity uh i mean that is a good question i mean i have my own theory on what the ego is I feel like a lot of people feel that the ego is something necessary. I don't think it's necessary, to be honest. I think it's a manifestation of the mind. So I think the mind creates the ego um, without knowing um, to protect itself, um, to, to no longer feel uncomfortable or to survive or to feel safe. So I think it's a survival mechanism, but it does come from a place of fear and lack. It's coming from these powerful terrible you know intense experiences and so the mind you know in many ways thinks it's doing a good job it mm -hmm. feels like oh i'm protecting you but really it's keeping you small it's having you self-sabotage po possible beautiful powerful things um and and i think because it's operating from such a place of fear and lack I, that's that's where it gets a little tricky and and i really tried to make people aware of this and, and it's kind of neat, like it's like, it's like the, the mind is definitely going to have its own thoughts. And, and then there's the ego self that can also have its own thoughts. And, and that's what we're really kind of teaching is like, can we be the pure awareness of these thoughts, which will allow us to the fly, there yeah, is. The fly <laughs> which will allow us to um, simply acknowledge them as thoughts and not get pulled into these mind movies. But I, I do not think that the ego is necessarily mm. um, needed. I think it's something that 
unfortunately, since we're born in a lot of unsafe environments, it's just something that's kind of manifested. It's super interesting because there's no, um, this is one of those questions that there's no uh, direct answer for because everybody's kind of got their own experience of it. But I've come to similar conclusions to you. And the way I phrased it is the brain isn't designed to help you thrive. It's there to help you survive Mm -hmm. or the ego or the mind. And by consequence of having a brain, we end up with one. So if we're going to end up with one and we have one, then it becomes this, is it going to be because you'll see a lot of popular books. One that's come into mind is ego is the enemy. Mm. And people go to war with this thing. It's like, we must kill the ego. But the ego can be an ally too, mm-hmm. right? I think it's like a training thing. I've heard you use the analogy of like, a, is it a dog and a dog trainer or a compound? Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. A little bit, I thought it was an interesting frame. Yeah, that's a fun one. Um, so a lot of times with my clients to get them to kind of step outside of their mind, I let them know that Okay, visualize yourself as the, you know, that you're the dog rescuer, a.k.a. the higher self or the soul of the divine being. And you're going into the dog shelter, the rest of the dog, and the dog is representing the person. You know, and this dog has been through powerful, hard experiences. And, um, you know, it doesn't know how to receive love. It doesn't know it's worth love. And it's not aware that this beautiful divine being is coming in to, to take it home and to give it unconditional love and to work with it in all its ways. And when that divine being comes in and opens that kennel door, that dog backs itself into a kennel. It doesn't even know it's being rescued. It may even try to bite. Um, even when you bring the dog home, it's peeing on the carpet. It's pulling on the leash. And, and what can we do? What can we do to really show this dog that it is unconditional love? And that's to have patience and grace mm. and empathy and giving it a warm bed to sleep in it, feeding it really healthy food, taking it on long walks showing it unconditional love. And during that process, that dog will still nip. It still will technically bite back, so to speak. And what do we do? Do we, you know, become impatient with it? Do we become frustrated with it? No, we, we show it more grace, so unconditional love, and eventually it will come back around. Yeah, because the alternative, if you start beating the dog in frustration and shaming it, you are trying to rule like a tyrant. You're trying yeah. to become the tyrant of this, this, this thing, which this thing that isn't you, but you believe is you, mm-hmm. this mind. And now you're trying to beat it into submission and all the shame and the guilt mm-hmm. and the nastiness is going to come from that because it can't be a healthy relationship. Yeah, judgment. Like falling into judgment is is something that I realized and Eckhart Tolle talks about that really well. It's like as soon as you fall into judgment, you're no longer operating from the seat of consciousness. And so judging your ego is the same thing. And essentially you are judging your mind or yourself because it's the creation of the mind. So like I, I always tell my clients, I'm like, you know, that ego voice will come in and it will try to self-sabotage. It, it does this in, in many ways to also stay relevant and, mm. and not dissolve so um, and survive itself. But like the way that we really do manage this, this ego is by giving it your presence, mm. by giving it your attention, inviting it in many ways to dinner. Um, to the table and, and and not shut the door on it. You're not removing it in these in these judgmental ways or these resisting ways. It's really and and we're really we're working with and in, in, you know in the spiritual community it's called the shadow in everyday life it's called the ego. Um, in certain religions it's called the devil and mm-hmm. Buddha it's called the Maya. Mm-hmm. So it's like really what we're working with are these shadow parts of ourselves and and, and the trick is to really invite it in and feel these these feelings feel these all these emotions whether they're anger frustration we're not it's not about bypassing these emotions it's really about inviting it in and feeling sensations giving it your presence giving your love and opening your heart to Mm. it like profoundly opening your heart to it and that's really hard because the ego then has to burn through the heart and it's for me it's always a literal burning sensation um and then after you process that and sit with these emotions which most people have never been taught to do 
uh, which which is really important. That's a big step in, in, in alchemizing. And then you can then breathe into that specific space and then hold it for a moment and then ask it to kindly leave. Like, all right, I release you now. Like, thank you, but I release you now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, doing that a few times and really learning how to release emotions and process emotions, especially intense ones, is, uh, is something I think um, all people need to really understand as opposed to resisting them, bypassing them even. That's another thing, too, is like, we see a lot of in, times in the spiritual community, there's many times now that they're not sitting with it still. Mm -hmm. They're immediately even getting into, I mean, it's great that they're getting into good behaviors, you know, like a breath work or, you know, getting into grounding and stuff like that. But they're still like, I don't want to feel this discomfort. I still don't want to feel this discomfort. It's like, no, that's part of this human experience is is feeling all of this stuff. That's why we're here. Mm. I had a teacher tell me that um, your wounded parts have the most wisdom. Yes. Yeah, and like, I agree. so if you're not going to sit with that stuff, you're potentially robbing yourself of the depth of the what growth is possible. You know, yeah, that's where I've that's where I've done my most growth is these trials and tribulations. Right. Because that's uh, I like I mentioned before we got on the, the resurrecting Jesus book by Adashante is fantastic. And he uh, he really does a great job of explaining the story of Jesus, I think. And you know, he gets into like when we have our, uh, I guess, our awakening, like a real powerful awakening. For me, it was that DMT experience at, at 33 years old, like where where you can call it the, the spirit was ignited within me. It was finally opened within me. But then after that, there are the trials and tribulations of of remembering that you are divinity during the hard times. Mm -hmm. And you, you, it's not about spiritually bypassing. It's about opening your heart to them when they happen. Mm -hmm. And I personally now, I love the tests now. I love when I get a trigger, when I feel a contraction, because there's a moment for me to open and learn and expand. Mm -hmm. And the hardest moments have allowed me to expand in such ways which has allowed me to love even more, feel even more, and also like heal and and not only my myself, but like like my mother and other people in my life by by doing this type of work, by feeling these emotions. And just a little sidetrack, I've been able to do that even during certain ceremonies. Like I went to Mexico this last year or this year, and I did it to Mescal. And you know, I was trying to figure out like what were my intentions going to be in this space. And I really didn't have um, a game plan going in. But then I realized that, you know, like we can also hold space for others. And so that's what's kind of been drawing me back to maybe some form of plant medicine. Because I'm really good at alchemizing my body now where I really don't feel the need to do plant medicine anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but now I'm realizing that I can go in these spaces and and intentionally like hold the energy or hold other emotions for other people that have learned how to do it. Mm. And so I, I went in there with like, you know, my mom grew up with, with really no safe men, three babies by the age of 23, um, no safe home either. Her family wasn't safe. And so I know my mom has is, is scared to, to visit that space. And I know there's a part of her that's like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna sit with that. So like that was what I went into that Temescal was like, let me hold my mom's shit. Let me take it and filter it through and, and put it back into the ground for her. Let me discharge it in this space. And so that's what I focused on. I was asking for my mom's pain, my mom's suffering. And after I went through my mom's pain and suffering, then I thought of other women that were in that same. It was it fell on Mother's Day. It was really kind of mm. cool. And then I was asking for like, you know, I can hold. It was wild because I was trying to prepare for this to mescal, um, you know, like a month by going to Kuya and like sitting in there for like an hour yeah. trying to like. And I was like, damn, this is tough. But as soon as I made it about being of service for my mom and, and other women that, that didn't have the ability to hold their own space, 
I, I sat in there for the full three hours. Mm -hmm. It was, it was almost not, I wouldn't say easy, but it was like empowering. Mm -hmm. I was able to do it. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, because you're running off a different fuel. Yeah, right? yeah. Like a, especially um, for mom. I was like, oh, I can do this yeah. all fucking day. I say a labor of love is the most enduring thing ever mm -hmm. because it, it's from love, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I'm reminded of an old term I've come across in a few books um, called being the hollow bone. And it mm. reminds me of this idea of holding space very well. Like the hollow bone means you have to be hollow enough to let things pass through you so they don't get caught up with yes. your own funky stuff. Yes. But you're sturdy enough like the bone to give mm. and borrow other strength for other people that need it, you know, because we forget that too. You know, when we do our own work on ourselves, it's not um, just selfishly for us. It extends into all interactions, into the people that we love, into the ways that we can be with people. And even from the minutiae of how we look them in the eye to the way our nervous systems connect when we're sitting across from each other like this we we are literally talking a different language too mm. and our animal bodies pick up on that if yeah. you haven't done the work and you're not a hollow bone you're full of like muck and mire yes then, then everything constricts and we can't yeah. flow from there you know yeah that's that's brilliant i'm glad you mentioned that there's a lot of unspoken energy that's always being transmuted between um people and things and a lot of people don't truly understand that that language that's always uh, unconsciously being yes. shared yeah and there'll be a lot of people listening to this that don't really understand that language True. too. I have to be aware of this because this is one of those things that if 10 years ago, somebody would have told me to just open my heart and feel my emotions. Mm -hmm. I'd have been like, get out of here, hippie. Yeah. And like feeling <laughs> is believing. I'm on the other side of some of this work now. So what you're saying, I'm sitting here like, yeah, I, I feel that I've experienced yeah. that. But for the person that maybe is a little more closed off from that language and that energy and, and this conversation that we're mm. having, when you say, you know, sit with what's hard and open your heart to it and be conscious with it because they have no idea how, because as you alluded to, nobody's shown them. Unfortunately, mm. we're not taught mm -hmm. this in school or anything like that. It can be a real um, trigger sometimes. And it's just for like, sure. well, that, that, that's good for you to say, but that's not me. How do you even get people to start beginning to differentiate from the thoughts, open the heart, connect Brilliant. to the body. What yeah. do you do? It's about, I think, um, really kind of getting into teaching them presence because presence will allow them to remember in a profound way, right? Because they already know, they know what we know. It's about just how can we get them to remember? And so before I was kind of just using my, my dialogue to try to explain these things. And, it, it, you know, that's, I'm really good about doing that. And it was received. But a lot of times there was this resistance from the ego, from the person itself of like, this is bullshit, doesn't work and whatnot. Uh, and so I was like, oh, man, how can I actually convey this in a, in a more palatable way? And it's, it, it was about teaching stillness. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got into breath work. Um, that's what kind of followed was first just exploring it myself. Uh, I randomly, and what's funny is I didn't research breath work. I didn't do breath work. It was just kind of like this. I just got home from Tulum one day and I randomly woke up one morning. I laid on my floor and I started doing heavy breathing. And then I exhale and hold and inhale and hold. And then I did that like for about six or seven rounds. And then I transcended like I did DMT. And I was like, whoa, I'm like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I started just applying that. And I was still PTing at the time. And then I started doing it in between sets. I started doing mm -hmm. these powerful breaths in between sets. And I was finding this incredible level of presence during my training and really connecting with my body again, which allowed me to connect to a high level of presence, which again, just was unlocking so many um, downloads, so to speak, that we all have access to, right? The conscious field is always open, but mm -hmm. is the mind quiet enough to access this field? Uh, and so I really started understanding this. And then from that, my, my clients became really curious because they saw the shift within myself, mm. which goes to what you were saying before. When we start operating in this space, 
this energy that 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 does kind of come off uh, can elevate another person's consciousness and just become a little curious and so they became curious of how i was going about my business how i was going about my day my attitude my energy they became really curious of it and so i was like yeah let's just go through some breath work so i was i was able to especially the type of breath work that i created which is transcendental and so a lot of a lot of breath work is is geared towards around I think like like somatic release mm -hmm. nowadays and m my variation obviously will release enough stored stuck emotions to make room to allow what comes through but my, my specific breath work is is more about becoming nobody becoming mm -hmm. no one so it's more of a ceremony and this is very really this is kind of brand new for most people because most people never can shut off the mind mm -hmm. they can never they're either in the past the future or or coping um, through all their addictions to, to create some space from it. And so I was like, wow, like, let me create something that really completely shuts them off. They completely ascend. And I was like, the only way to do that is, again, is to kind of just have them do it, feel it for themselves and kind of fall into the seat of the witness, the watcher, the observer. And then they're like, you know what? You kind of make sense with what you're saying right now. So that's actually how I set up all of my my clients is that they book a, a consultation mm -hmm. We get into this and, and thank goodness one of, I think one of my, my, my gifts that you could say is that I can articulate this stuff well. Mm -hmm. I can deliver it in a really palatable way, which makes them also curious and it doesn't kind of poke their ego too much. You know, it doesn't make them like, this is stupid. So that's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I can do that. And it's like, and then I let them know, like, listen, you know, already thing I'm, I'm speaking up right now, just so you know, and I can tell there's a part of you that, that perks up when I say certain things that truth is within you and i'm like but you'll really know it you'll really conceptualize it on a deeper level as soon as you get quiet because mm -hmm. you're going to connect the dots so all i ask you is like let's do a breathwork session i'll get the program do the program and you're going to see and then we meet up again next week it's going to click a little bit more it's going to click a little bit more so presence is the real key and whether that's through breath through movement through con uh, for through cold and, and heat therapy through grounding through sunbathing what have you it's really about creating that level of presence because his presence really is the portal mm -hmm. it's the window it's the door for loving awareness for remembering to come through and boom and then that's where the magic happens that is where the magic happens mm -hmm. and it's so it's funny you started that um segment with like you've got to teach people to learn stillness again and it's like yes. how funny is it that we have to learn how to be still in a world yeah. that's so distracted right and mm -hmm. you know i think helps as well in, in your message to make it maybe a little more accessible or alluring to people is also that you know when you start having this language people expect you to be dressing in robes and wearing like wooden beads and you know burning sage everywhere you go for the people that are watching and don't know who you are you obviously have this background in bodybuilding too so it it, it piques the curiosity yes. of the meathead hippie because yes. they're like well i mean he looks pretty good strong he's yeah. jacked like maybe he's maybe he's not so crazy maybe there's something here yeah. and it just it, it, it keeps refreshing it in its own way i often think like you, you must play the hand that you dealt right at some point you're either going to go or you're not going to go at all and like mm. you've got to use what you've got and i think that is a really cool way of, of framing it because sometimes what turns people off is not necessarily the language because i agree i think a lot of what you're saying there's a part of people that goes yeah that resonates, resonates but then the yeah. mind comes on top and is like oh no 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 no. Yeah. so it's also like the whole experience of like this doesn't mean that you have to be a monk in a monastery True. or somebody that runs off and you know evacuates from life like you can implement this stuff we're talking about into a regular mm -hmm. life because mm -hmm. presence is always there whether you're filing the excel spreadsheet True. or sipping a coffee mm -hmm. like it's all it's always possible and i think these tools are really important so 
on this breathwork thing, what you, you said, like trying to reduce the, um, you know, to kind of get the ego out of the way so you can experience it. And that was really profound for me when I did breath work in mm. that way for the first time, because I've never felt such a still mind when, you know, you kind of just at a, at a certain point when you start breathing, you're very conscious because you're being guided. You might be saying like four in and six out and then there's some holes. And then at some point you're, the body is breathing you. You're not Correct. even breathing in. It. It's yeah. very still and it's very peaceful. Um, what, what do you think it is about the breath that's allowing that state of consciousness to rise up? Like the nothingness, the, the, mm. the complete presence. I think the, I think the, the two things that are, that are really powerful in this space is one is first re moving around a lot of the energy that is creating a lot of the thoughts. So I think that's, that's an important thing. It's like first, like moving this stuff around. I think that's a big one. So when people just like, man, I've tried meditation, my mind doesn't stop. And I'm like, well, that's, that's probably very true. And it's probably very hard to just kind of sit in meditation and, and even watch thoughts, even though we're not trying to shut the mind off. Um, it'd be nice if it did get, you know, remotely quiet, mm -hmm. you know, then it wasn't so intrusive. So I, I understand like, yeah, for, for 99% of people who are especially struggle with intrusive thoughts of unworthiness, if I'm not enough or anxious thoughts about the unknown future, sitting in meditation is torture. It's just torture. It's not a good time. They're not having fun with it. That, I mean, there's a reason why they're distracting themselves all day. So having them sit in that's almost like, yeah, that's no good. It's not mm -hmm. a good practice for you right now. So what can we do first? And well, let's actually move a lot of this energy around and release it from the body. And mm -hmm. I think that is a huge component for, especially for new, new people getting into this work, especially people that really suffer from the mind and intrusive thoughts. Let's breathe for a little bit. Let's breathe for a little bit. And I think, um, this style of breath work, I think is important to the transcendental, which is a gentle way to kind of lead into it. Cause I think a lot of people that first, and, and not all times, but I think a lot of people that get into like the somatic, a lot of times it's a bit intense. It's mm -hmm. a bit intense to uh, kind of release some of these stored stuck emotions that have been there since we were kids and they're traumatic and they're powerful. And they're, you know, I mean, they're just pouring out of you at this time, whether it's a scream, a cry, a shake, a, all of it, all the above. And so I think a gentle guidance into this will really be powerful too. So they can, they can like kind of really observe actually what's going on without just the, just taking them for the whim of it. Yeah. But moving the energy around is, is key for number one. And then I think a, a decent segment of breath is a, a longer segment is also important. So you're giving the brain something to focus on for a good period of time. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, yeah, I do breath work and meditation, but they're only doing like 10 or 15 mm -hmm. minutes. The longer segments I think are really important because you're giving your brain something to focus on for a period of time. And then before you know it, you know, you're, you are falling into that, that nothingness. So move the energy around at first, having a decent segment of that. And I think using certain music is very mm. important right to elevate that frequency as well um, being guided by somebody who can set those intentions i think is also really important with the sound healing and whatnot so there's some definitely factors that can 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 be powerful but i think moving the energy around at first and then kind of leaning into these longer segments is a really really big component into finding complete nothingness I like that a lot because uh, especially the point you made about, you know, the length. I, I was building a meditation habit for a long time and I just did classically. I started with the waking up app and then I went into a bunch and it was always 10 minutes and 10 minutes is a lot better than zero yeah, minutes. Yeah. But I started to then get into longer meditations and realize that it was only around the 10 minute mark that I start to even remotely enter a meditative yes. like state. And then it's the difference between 10 and 20 minutes is just wild. The difference yeah. between 10 and 45 minutes is even more so. And I know people are going to be like, yeah, but who has time to do 45 minutes? And there's that old Buddhist parable. If you don't have time to meditate for an hour, you should meditate for two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, and you there's know, levels to spirit, right? Spirit world, you mm -hmm. know, we can get lift off, you know, and then there's like lift off. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like, it's good to get deep, but deep remembering of who you are. Um, yeah. The longer bouts are always powerful. I yeah. feel. Yeah. And it's maybe a sad truth of our culture that, you know, we want instant gratification. We want instant results. And a lot of the work that we're talking about here is really going inward and doing more of the, more of the serious work in life. You know, it's, it's hard work to cultivate the discipline to get yourself in the gym and eat well. And a lot of that stuff, it's no doubt there's, there's discipline and there's hard work, but it's really hard work to go inside mm -hmm. and try to like crack yourself open from the inside out, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, and, and it's, it's interesting when it's funny when we say I, and who are we speaking from? So the person definitely wants the instant gratification, right? The person wants this quick fix. And, and that's the big thing that me and you were talking about. It's like, okay, can we zoom out from that person and operate from our true self and, and you know, the soul or divine beingness and then, and then kind of teach the person and, and show the person that has this mind that wants instant gratification, be like, Hey, just so you know, like we know you want this quick fix, but like, let's just show you this. Let's just show you, let's just try this and see what you like. And, and over time, when we really present this to our person, to the human thinking mind, the brain is built on reward-based learning. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, at first it's going to want that instant gratification, but you can definitely make it more intelligent. It becomes smarter by introducing these powerful habits and you don't actually have to do it that often before it becomes the new autopilot. Mm. And that's something I realized it's, um, you know, just by having dialogue with your person like i i have the dialogue with my human every single day when mm -hmm. i wake up you know he he may be resistant to certain things and so instead of identifying as that that person who doesn't want to do anything i kind of slide into that that soul seat so to speak and i'm like hey like what's up what, what's the resistance here and then i can actually talk to him and mm -hmm. create dialogue with him and and see what he would like to do that day and if he's resistant towards breath work we're like all right well what else would you like to do and he's like you know what? let's do yoga today i'm like all right let's do yoga today mm -hmm. i mean if he wants to do something like go on his phone right away or do something like that we're like well you know like once you do that behavior of going on your phone how do you normally feel mm -hmm. and so dialogue's a, a really important step um with my clients as well and, and and very much with myself and i use the term my person all the time when i'm mm -hmm. actually referring to my person i never for the most part, say I, when I'm referring to Justin, it's always my person. My, my person's a little anxious right now. Mm. Like, yeah. And I was like, my person's hungry, you know, as opposed to, and that allows me to kind of sit in the seat of the observer or at least the soul seat for the most part. It's a super interesting frame to play with, you know, mm -hmm. to create that separation, not mm -hmm. so quickly get like caught up in the person of mm -hmm. it. And it's funny again, cause people, people watching might be like, well, you're having this like dialogue, but they're you're constantly having a dialogue in the head <laughs> yeah, all the time, right? True, like who is true. the I that's talking to me about mm -hmm. what we should do? And it's like, yes. wait, how many people are in here? Multiple, multiple yeah, personalities, multiple yeah. ideas, multiple ideals. And on different days, mm -hmm. they will show up differently. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about some of your personal practices. I, I'm fascinated by this idea of like, do you have a daily practice board? Tell me about that. Yeah, I do. So that it's not even, it, it says daily practice. What I should put is like, just like, just present modalities. But, um, so I don't have to do all of these. I don't have to do a number of these, but basically it's a, it's a whiteboard on my fridge so I can see it daily. I think mm -hmm. that's the most important part. Uh, specifically for me, cause, um, it helps just for things to be in front of me to just keep me on top of you know, um, good practices. So on this board are, are a list and maybe 20 or 30 of different type of modalities or tools that, that I enjoy being present in. And, um, whether that be cold plunge, sauna, yoga, dancing, cooking, 
uh, grounding, what have you, um, breath work, meditation. And I have all these things listed on there. And so I have my non-negotiables that I do in the morning and I have some at the night that I do, but the, but the rest of the day, you know, if I have any downtime and, you know, we can get so caught up in like obviously grabbing our phones or whatnot, but this is a great visual for me to be like, oh, you know what? I should go for a walk, mm-hmm. you know, put the phone down, go for a walk. And I can check that off, which is a wonderful little dopamine mm-hmm. hit right there too. When I, when I do that. So like this board allows me to, like, cause I really, under, I really understand it's, it's about training the brain at this point to be simply present because everything else is vying for your attention. And so I realize we're kind of working against this system. And, um, and if you're not, if you're not consistently, especially if you're in the system a lot working in that space, in that 3d space, and you're being pulled and all these type of things, like it's good to have an awareness to on a daily basis, maybe have a, a, a bunch of different things that you really become present with mm-hmm. and connect to at a high level to really train the brain mm-hmm. to just simply be present. So it's just, it's just a, it's just a, it's there as a reminder to stay on top of my practices. My non-negotiables though are, are pretty dope. You know, I wake up at a specific time and, um, the first thing that I do is I get in the cold plunge, you know, and I mostly just do that because my person hates, doing, hates it. That whole, doing it. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's great, but you got no say. Yeah. Uh, after that, I, I, I got the, um, I got this, I used to do I always did gratitude, but I kind of always just like would just kind of like go through three things of gratitude fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I, I recently saw how Tony Robbins spends like a decent amount of time on the gratitude, um, like, you know, three or four minutes on that one thing. So like it could be my dogs and how much joy they bring me. And I, and what I do is I think of my dogs and I picture them doing all their stupid shit that they do and the funny stuff that they do. And I spend three or four minutes on that with my eyes closed. And it's funny, I'll start even just smiling while I'm in this space. And it's like a really wonderful way to also create hyper-focus. Like I'm hyper-focused on this one thing Mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for it and I love it and I'm happy and all these type of things for three to four minutes, which is very powerful to be able to stay focused on one thing. So it's also doing a wonderful focus drill. And then I'll pick another thing and I'll do three things. So about 10 minutes of like this powerful focused gratitude through three different things. Um, after that, um, I usually get into my breath work and meditation and I try to always do my, my own personal transcendental breath work and meditation. Um, you know, and whatever it is that I'm maybe working through and, you know, for me right now, it's just about, um, what I usually speak into the universe at that time or speak to my subconscious at that time is just, what can I do to be more of service? What can I do to raise my vibration? that will allow me to be more disciplined. And so I ask these, how can I do this? Like, how can I reach my, expand my reach and whatnot? And then I'll go into my meditation. I'll clear my body using the breath. And then usually it comes through. The answer comes through in that, in that meditation, which is really cool. And then I can take that and apply it. Um, after that, I'll usually pick an individual, um, someone in my life that I've been seeing doing wonderful work and send them a lot of love and gratitude, uh, specifically towards that person. And, uh, and usually a dog walk. And so mm. that's kind of like my morning space. And it's a lot of just presence. Like I'm not trying to check my phone. I'm not trying to do any type of work yet. And that, and that is a really great way to prime my day, which will allow me to be a really great mentor, coach, holder of space. And normally I'll, I'll, I'll work with a few people um, after that. And then I create another space of beingness, which is my training. Mm-hmm. So then I connect through movement. Uh, and then a little bit more becomingness workflow. 
And then usually in the evening, it's cooking dinner, being present. I always have my friends come over to eat. It's one of my favorite things to do. But then also like a night routine where at seven o'clock, I try to have a hard stop at seven o'clock with social media um, boundaries around my phone. Cause that, that's the only thing that kind of can still get me mm-hmm. personally is the device. And then at eight o'clock it's, I put my phone up and it's gone for the rest of the day. And then I kind of sit in that, that stillness, which is fucking hard. It's hard oh, yeah. to, yeah. Like, because especially if you're on your phone all day, like my, my, my brain was getting the dopamine hits all day long yeah, and it's going up, down, up, down. And so like, this is something too, like a lot of people can really try to pay attention to oftentimes. I think everybody, first of all, is just completely addicted. Mm-hmm. Everybody's addicted. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and oftentimes when we decide to be like, you know what, I'm going to not watch Netflix. I'm going to not smoke the weed. I'm going to put away my phone and they go to kind of sit in that space and they feel this, this failing that comes over you. And, and it's funny as we feel it in our bodies and, and people either label it, as anxiety or or their brain will come up with a story or try to understand what that is and so it may maybe will create a story around an old wound that still may be there and it might create that mind movie from that space and for sure that that definitely could be happening but what i really think it is is i think it's withdrawal Mm -hmm. so i think most people are going through withdrawal whenever they're trying to be still yeah, wow. And, and that's important to understand because if you can just recognize like, wait, am I, am, because everyone calls everything anxiety. Anxiety, the mm-hmm. definition of anxiety is this fear uh, due to the unknown, right? And uncertainty. And that's the definition, which is a tool at one point for us to like kind of get up and f- look at that and see what that is. Because we only used to have to be afraid of one thing and was to not be eaten by a predator. Mm-hmm. So if you go to an unknown territory, you would uh, get anxiety to get up and go walk the perimeter. And then you would walk the perimeter. As soon as you got to know the unknown, your anxiety would be gone. Right. But now there's like, how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And there's like 50 things of the unknown. So yes, we can definitely struggle with anxiety. But I, I truly think if when we put our phones down, we kind of unplug and we feel this feeling and it's restlessness, it's addiction, it's withdrawal. And we can really look at that and we're like, all right, you know, and I'm not actually afraid of the unknown. I understand that I'm okay. I have money in the bank, food's on the table. There is no fear of the unknown. Mm. Okay, I can remove that. And like, yeah, I might have some stuff that I'm still working through, but really is that what's coming up? Is it anything from my past? Am I dealing with any type of wound or trauma? You know what? No, that's not either. Then what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. And if you can see that it is withdrawal from getting a hit, then you can kind of sit with it a lot easier. It's like, oh, fuck, all right, let me sit with this and let me feel it, write it out, maybe go discharge it discharge it in the earth maybe, and, uh, and then you can kind of actually be in that space. That's such a powerful frame, I think, because it, it, what you're describing, uh, like detox anxiety, withdrawal anxiety, people don't see it, you know, and then when they feel it, they just go back to the pacifier, the yes. phone in the hand, and I think now you can't change anything until you're aware of it right and but awareness won't change it either so you have Mm -hmm. to like what you just described when you mapped out your day is a lot of spiritual discipline you know you said i I will have this daily check sheet in front of me because i want to keep it in my face because if i don't there's a tendency for that lower self to hijack Mm -hmm. you know to fall back asleep and you'll fall back asleep so i'm big with clients on this i'm like how how in your face can we get this to possibly be whether it's notes on the mirror or something but like reminder 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 and then become aware of those things but then have the spiritual discipline to cultivate the strength to sit in those spaces yes so you mentioned a key word anxiety here and like you said it, it is exploding and i you know 
we all have a certain manifestation of anxiety. If somebody's feeling anxious, they self-identify like, I am an anxious person or anxiety is in my family line. How could one use something like breath work to combat anxiety, to quell anxiety? I think first, again, like not using the term I and say my person, my person is anxious and that will create a little bit of separation and, and not fall into. So what's interesting about anxiety is that, right, it's it's fear of the unknown. So usually there's like a trigger. So say like rents due is the trigger and there's a behavior that falls. So there's a, a trigger, a behavior and a result. So when you get triggered for something that can that can really kind of promote anxiety, but there's first a behavior that kind of follows that trigger. And most of the time, seemingly we all unfold and it's hard to catch this behavior. It's a, it's the mental behavior of worry. And this one's an interesting one because it's not a physical behavior. It's not something like grabbing a phone or going to the fridge or having a drink. It's a unique behavior. And the brain doesn't realize what it's doing. It's creating this mental behavior of worry, but it thinks it's actually going to solve a problem, but it's really not solving a problem. It's just manifesting movies of worry or dread and kind of playing that. And that's what creates anxiety. And then anxiety creates more worry and you get caught in this cyclical Mm -hmm. loop. So really it's like the art of pausing. So, the triggers, triggers are going to happen as we go through this experience. How can we have the awareness or the ability to pause whenever we become triggered? And, and that's where like the, the terminology of my person is really good. So when my person gets triggered for whatever reason, I'm like, ooh, ooh, my person just became triggered. So that gives me ability to pause and be like, all right, so what can I do right now to manage this trigger? You know, and if we're not careful, we can fall into the behavior of worry, especially if it's tied to something with anxiety, fear of the unknown. And so at that point, I have a wonderful ability to either take that trigger, that energy that was just created within my vessel and, you know, breathe it out. Or I can have the awareness of like going into the grass or going into the sun or, you know, or what have you. And or if it's a longer, if it's a really big trigger, like, you know, leading into a full breath work and meditation And then after that behavior that I chose, a a more positive behavior, a bigger, better behavior as well, um, I can then ask my person, like, how do you feel? And then that creates quite a bit of data for my person over time. And then I can almost essentially not fall into anxiety just by just by having that awareness of like, there's a trigger, you know, because I I don't think anxiety just doesn't happen. Mm. It's not like it's just like, I'm anxious. It's like, well, something caused the anxiety. So if you have these moments, the, the ability to pause the awareness that to be able to look at it through certain dialogue with yourself. But as you mentioned, you know, this is kind of hard, this, this place of awareness. So that's why practicing presence is key because presence equals awareness, awareness equals behavioral change. Mm. And so that's the, that's the, that's the fucking pattern. That's the way it goes down. So if you don't practice presence, you're not going to be able to be aware to pause or have dialogue. And you're certainly not gonna be able to make behavioral changes. So if people really can just simplify this as much as possible, it's like practice presence, practice presence, Mm -hmm. presence, presence, presence. And from that, again, portal opens, you'll get all the shit that you need, all the downloads, Mm -hmm. all the awareness, all the pausing that you could possibly ever need. And uh, so presence is definitely the key. Yeah, it's so spot on. I think the trigger that you're describing, it reminds me of this idea of the gap. So the trigger is the stimulus and most people are stimulus react. The gap doesn't even exist for them because they've lost it completely. Correct. So now there's stimulus. If you're practicing presence, there's stimulus perspective, 
you know, and then there's response and, and a response is very different than a reaction. Yes. You know, a response has that like tiny little bit of space we can own of going like, oh yeah, my, my human's triggered right now. Now I can respond. If I don't even recognize that my human is triggered, I become triggered and True. now it's just like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's just reaction. There's just reaction. Yeah. Here's an interesting one for you. I think many of the ways that men in particular are pacifying themselves are dealing with stress and creating a pretty unhealthy addiction is with pornography. What is your take on the consequences of using pornography? Man, it's probably the lowest vibration that you can engage in. Porn is the worst thing you could ever mess with. I was very lucky. I don't know how old you are. Uh, I'm 33. Okay, I'm 40. So uh, the, the internet was around, but nobody was using it. When I was younger, thank goodness. I think I had a. I was very lucky that I was in that space where I didn't have access to uh, high-speed internet. You know, I mm -hmm. dial up, and my parents didn't even have a computer, so I didn't even get my first cell phone until I think I was like nineteen or twenty, and it was a flip phone. It was like A, B, C, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like there was no screens or yeah. nobody was logging on stuff. So porn wasn't accessible. So one, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that it wasn't in my field, it wasn't in my 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 surroundings, it wasn't in my childhood experience. Thank goodness, you know, because that 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 really messes people up. I mean, I've had friends, I have friends around your age, a little bit younger, and the first time they masturbated was to fucking porn. Yeah, right. Which is wild, as opposed to this innocent exploration um, experience. Yeah, you kind of like what? what just yeah, happened? that's <laughs> how it was for me. I was like, what just happened? I was like, this is amazing, and I was like, <laughs> just my kid self up in my room. I didn't even know what happened. And that's that's the way it's supposed to be. This beautiful mm. innocence exploration, and and to and to have a number of kids that are exposed to pornography, and that's their first experience, is really rough. And you know, I never really got into porn. I I did dabble in it here and there, um, but once I became aware of the industry and and where it was coming from, and once I learned that man, I would say ninety percent or more of the people that were engaged in porn. Were coming from uh, trafficking women and children that were trafficked and that alone was like you know, that's the darkest stuff that you can get into and that was the easiest thing ever to be like oh never again mm. like just absolutely never again and once you kind of work in the realms of energy you know and and once you really realize that everything is everything and everything is a spectrum of this profound energy and there's a low energy and a high energy and and this stuff is as low as it gets and, and not to mention what it really does to the brain. Like I've had friends who were essentially porn addicts where, you know, they got into it so much, um, you know, regular lovemaking with their partner became boring, mm. not even boring. It's just like they couldn't get like to that stimulation anymore. So then their shit didn't work because it wasn't exciting enough. The drug yeah. wasn't hard enough. And so like then they thought something was wrong. Then they felt more shame around it. They're engaging in porn anymore. Then that porn they were watching, maybe it was just regular porn, whatever that is, you know, they were watching it. And then all of a sudden that's not good enough. Mm. And so they go to another drug. And so it's weirder porn. And then that's not good. And it goes to weirder porn and more weird porn. And before you know it, you're watching some weird dark shit. You don't know if you're straight. You don't know if you're gay. You don't know any of these things. And it, it totally like just shuts off their entire world. They don't know how to communicate and it's a full blown addiction and, and it's dark stuff too. It's mm -hmm. really, really dark stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's some, some demonic shit. I wouldn't fuck with it. 
Dude, it, it's crazy. And, and I think, yeah, I was lucky to escape childhood relatively. I think probably the first time I was exposed to porn, I was like 16. So a little more maturely developed, but still there's no, it doesn't come with any warning labels. No. It's not like the cigarette boxes with the nasty lungs on them. You don't see this. And, you know, you open Pandora's box, your little brain is developing, you're hijacked by this really excessive dopamine. I forget the name of the evolutionary psychologist, but she came up with this kind of tongue in cheek term of fapentropy, mm. that basically what you start masturbating to will not be what you finish masturbating to. Like you said, it's going to get progressively, it needs to be more, the stimulus needs to be more. So if it's, you know, guy on girl one-on-one, -on -one, okay, that's might work for a little bit, but then it's got to be like three and then yeah. you're all the way into like crazy bukkake shit. Yeah, like, How yeah. did we end up here? Yeah. You're watching some donkey stuff. It's like, what mm -hmm. the? fuck just happened yeah yeah and i think a lot of guys deal with a, a lot of shame around that yes. a lot of adults right now are going to have issues with pornography and there's shame and there's guilt and it may be even manifesting in the relationships with the partners and like a reminder here is like you're not broken you're not a bad person you just you got hijacked by something and maybe even potential things like awareness and breath work can be the solution to that too mm -hmm. like if you feel the urge and this is your default to go into the bathroom and do what you're going to do what if you took a walk what if you did some breathing yes. what if you did some push-ups what if you did anything else that's not that and you only need to do it once and now you've got a little bit of evidence that okay i, I can do this and then once becomes twice and twice mm -hmm. becomes 10 and we can win these battles you know yeah you know i actually work um, with a lot of women. I work with a lot of women. I would say 70% of my clients are women. And, um, you know, and I've worked with some women that have, have experienced some really traumatic experiences, whether it was through rape or molestation as children. And from that, from that darkness that they experienced, um, they became very promiscuous and they became format porn addicts as well. And they mm. also uh, frequently would masturbate like all through the day. Hmm. And, um, I work with a lot of women that are in this field and it's, it's, that's the drug. And it's like that. The, and what's interesting is, is like, it's first making very clear that that energy, even if you guys got that energy from porn as a young kid, it's not yours. It's a very unique type of energy that's being passed around, you know? And, and so one making or helping people realize like, Hey, whatever it is that you're feeling from this addiction or from this experience, it, it's not yours to begin with. And that's really powerful to be like, and then how can we, how can we clean this body of this low vibration that you may have been consuming, uh, throughout these years or what you experienced in that horrible experience. And, um, you know, the way that I'm able to help essentially these specific clients, that I just mentioned work through it. It's, it's funny. Like they would hit me like, they're like, Justin, I have, I have an urge right now. I have an urge to, to do this and I'm just trying to figure out. And I already did the breath work and it didn't work. And I'm like, okay. And, and this is like, and we kind of mentioned this in the beginning. It's like, I go, did you sit with it yet? Mm. And, she, and she's like, no. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be really tough, but just get in a chair, put your hands down on the chair and just sit with this feeling, sit with this emotion that's going to be released. It's going to be very heavy. It's going to be very uncomfortable. It's going to climb. You're going to feel like you're going to burst. Just sit with it, welcome it, let it consume you, feel all these things. And then after about five, 10 minutes, if you can make it that far, that's when you start adding those breaths and then ask it to kindly leave. You're no longer needed. Like I release you. And it works every time. Mm. It works every time. And this, these are people that come from really, really traumatic experiences. It's amazing to see them release this hold, this, this, this energy, this darkness that has been put on them, whether it's from an actual event or from things like, you know, the internet pornography. But there's definitely ways to heal from this um, and let it go and release it. But feeling it is the first step. 
Yeah, it it reminds me. I often think about the Harry Potter movies. It'll come full circle in a minute. They're so scared of Lord Voldemort, they won't even say his, his name, name yeah. right? So they can't even look at it. And it's like a, reminds me of a an, a child like sitting on the bed under the covers, terrified because they've convinced themselves there's a monster under the bed. And if you can guide them to go and look under the bed, they'll realize there's no monster there. Mm. So it's the act of looking at it. It's the act of being with it to take the power yes. back over it. But people need that nudge. They need they need a safe space. They need a person to believe in them. Otherwise, that becomes too overwhelming yeah. that they either follow through, they do the action, or they turn to something else. Mm -hmm. You know, they might even solve one problem and just create a new problem. Yeah. So there's there's so much there's so much there, and I think that's a wonderful like reminder to like again sit with the the stuff that scares you the most. Like you, yeah. you are stronger than you think. You're more capable than you know, and you're safe. Right? Yeah. You are safe. It's mm -hmm. just this story. It's your human, and that you can transcend that. Yeah. Talk to me about this. Um, tension of uh real self-love versus uh self-love that's kind of been co-opted in modern culture and what i mean by that is like, what we're talking about here is a radical self-acceptance and changing from love and then there's this cultural meme of self-love that you don't need to change a thing about you honey boo boo it doesn't matter how heavy you are or what you're you know you're perfect as you are don't change a thing and i'm not convinced that's real self-love so how do you square the circle of like self-love in a growth perspective of loving yourself enough to want to be better versus self-love as like oh you don't need to change anything you're perfect exactly as you are justin just keep doing your thing yeah i mean i think I think when we're not getting still enough, it's going to be hard to decipher which self is speaking on this and like how it like where it's coming from. And, and, and that can cause a lot of distortion, I feel. And so I think that, that one self that's like, you know what, I'm good just the way I am is definitely coming from the ego self, the mind in a lot of ways. And it's especially through um, what society has done right now, which is affirm this type of behavior, um, you know, and so I think it's a, it's a bit tricky to get a lot of people are just kind of lost in that space. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has any awareness. I think it's just deeply stuck in a program, deeply been conformed and conditioned to, to have this, this mindset. And so again, I think it comes back to essentially quieting that, that part of that self down, that ego self down that has this, this conditioning or belief like, oh yeah, this is, this is okay. And this is, this is love, but really it's a distortion of, of self-love and getting that mind nice and quiet to really tap into what true self-love is and and then with that they'll be able to kind of see through that distortion i feel it's mm -hmm. that's a tricky one though you know it's like we really want to we don't want to fall into this consistent affirming right now which mm -hmm. is really wild right now and it's, i know it's very popular around the, the the younger groups of people nowadays everybody's like all about just affirming and affirming mm -hmm. but that's definitely that's definitely not the case i think being honest but I think how we can be honest with 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 people without falling into like judging them yeah. or I think if we can if we can stay out of judgment while holding space or while leading by loving example is is the key. I think yeah. whenever we become judgmental or frustrated with some of these lost minds or some of these lost souls is when it actually prolongs this uh, whatever it is that we're experiencing. And so I just really, I, I can understand why, uh, why people fall into this mentality of what you just mentioned, um, this distortion. Um, and, and sometimes it's really aggressive. I, I definitely have calls where it's like, 
really aggressive like almost like they anything that i say it's almost like if i'm not affirming them then mm-hmm. i must be attacking them mm-hmm. and that was really interesting to to work through and and again like it's a wonderful test for me to not contract or close so i can I'm like oh, okay i see what i'm working with this is a powerful ego here so mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of the ego yeah um but like how can i create a space that isn't falling into judgment that isn't becoming frustrated or irritated with them and i notice if i can stay in that space i'm able to kind of raise that vibration mm-hmm. within them and and they're able to start seeing things from a more from more um i would say conscious space yeah cool yeah it's something i, I wrestle with and i just see it a little bit in in, in culture and it's an interesting one to sit with and i guess you know love ultimately is truth and i think that if we are true to ourselves we lead ourselves first you know you can lead a horse to water you can't make it drink but you can make it curious like you reflected early on in the conversation your clients start going like what are are you up to curiosity is is definitely um the way to go and the way that we can get people really curious is by i think leading by loving example but Mm. but the big thing i think is like it's for i think for a lot of people it's hard to not like you know put any judgment on people when they're acting a specific way or Mm -hmm. they're going through things in front of you and that's one thing i've been able to really do is is like kind of like understand that as soon as i judge and as soon as i fall into any type of judgment then i've fallen out of consciousness i've 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 fallen out of divinity so uh, a big part of my growth and my learning is really operating from a non-judgmental space Mm -hmm. uh, seeing things as either conscious or unconscious it's never personal and in fact since we all are a mirror of each other if i can see through the egoic mind see through the fear through see through the scarcity the distortion and see the love through that then they can see the love within themselves so Mm -hmm. i really just kind of focus on that and 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 use that energy you know uh, by either sending them love or having like just telepathically like hey i see you in there i see you in there like wake up wake Mm -hmm. up you know and i know that sounds very woo woo for Mm -hmm. a lot of people but that shit works (laughs) dude i have a crazy story and it was on the last trip and i didn't tell it but now you're bringing it up i'm like whatever we we should tell it so Mm -hmm. when i fly a lot of the time i meditate when i fly because it's a beautiful excuse to drop into like an hour long plus meditation yeah so i'm sitting in this meditation and i'm doing a joe dispenza meditation and towards the end of it it kind of wraps up and I'm, you know, just, I'm just doing my woo-woo thing. And I'm like, I'm just going to send this whole plane love. So I'm like trying to like blast it out. I'm trying to feel myself blasting out love. I have no idea what I'm like doing, but I'm just feeling it. I'm sending it. I hope everybody has a wonderful day. And we mm-hmm. land, everything is, is groovy. And I'm getting up and getting my bag. And the woman that's been sitting in front of me turns around and she'd hand crocheted a heart. And she turned around and she was like, I made this for you. Oh. And she gave it to me. And I put it in um, my pocket and then I bloody lost the flannel that I put it in the pocket. But it was a beautiful story. And I was like, how how interesting. And I wonder if I wasn't doing that, would she have done that? And yeah. it, it really taps you in again to this uh, infinite possibilities and that energetic body, again, that yeah. some sometimes uh, speaks in a language that we can't understand with this, but we yes. can feel with something else, yes. you know. Yeah. So before we move into a couple of questions here from the community, I must ask you, we must get back into, you know, the material here. You are consciousness being carried around in this meat suit, as we sometimes call <laughs> it. You chose to put on this bag of skin and a part of being in your biggest and radical expression of health is keeping it healthy. Obviously, yes. that's a big priority mm-hmm. to you. I want to just touch on your dietary philosophy these yeah. days. I know we talked about going on. Oh, you was like, oh, I take the supplements. Yeah, that's yeah, great. So yeah. how do you like kind of um, what, what some of the big stones that you stack when it comes to dietary philosophy these days? You know, as opposed to, um, I do quality over quantity, Mm -hmm. you know, from my bodybuilding background, I always did 
quantity for a long time and it really did stress my body in mm -hmm. profound ways i was like i was in that definitely that six to eight meal range with Damn. bodybuilding yeah and just trying to eat as much food because you know it was all like bro science at that time and you know my intuitiveness was like this isn't good and this isn't working i didn't feel good and so i i really have cut back on my calorie intake and i made it about more just high high quality food um enriched food and so i, I typically only eat like twice a day mm -hmm. now and I, I pretty much fast for the most the part of the day like mm -hmm. I, I fasted so far today um normally i would i would train and then my first meal is around six eggs if i'm really hungry i'll have eight eggs with some honey nice yeah and that's yeah that's that's pretty when i have my coffee it's um what you guys gave me today which was wonderful whether whether it's butter or raw milk, raw milk yeah. with some honey or maple syrup so that's also like in my routine as well and then at night it's usually um, regenerative farm ground beef mm -hmm. or some form of fish and either rice or potatoes and then a bunch of vegetables Beautiful. so yeah it's usually like something like bell peppers onions mushrooms mm -hmm. and like um, zucchini or something and i cook only with grass-fed butter mm -hmm. and everything that i cook i'll use still olive oil but it has to be extra virgin olive mm -hmm. oil and it's the same thing I feed my dogs. Yeah, right. My dogs eat the same exact thing. They get um, the raw canine. Have you heard of them? They're really cool. It's like the the pet, the raw canine, yep. the bone, yep. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they get that first thing in the morning with two raw eggs, including the shell, yep. with some pumpkin. That's their breakfast every morning. And at night, they get fresh sardines. Oh, them dogs thrive. With olive oil and some more <laughs> pumpkin. So it's very simple my yeah. food is very simple um i really i cook almost every single night i think cooking at home I, I really try to not have any processed food that's a big thing for me and if i do eat out i try to make sure i i mean i always make sure that i, I don't use any seed oils mm. i don't i don't eat out with places that have seed oils so shout out the ziki i think yeah they, let's go ziki. Fuck. yeah um so like yeah that's pretty much i think the only place i eat if i eat out actually yeah. is ziki but yeah very simple high quality uh, healthy fats, stuff like that, and uh, working with and and the reason why it's so important. Everything I get is from regenerative farms, mm -hmm. and and again, get into like the energy aspect of things. People think all food is created equal, you know, organic patty and organic patty. But if one is just some organic patty from from some factory farm, even mm. versus a regenerative farm, like I think people once they start understanding conscious consumerism and dealing in energy since everything is energy that's not woo woo everything is atoms everything is energy everything is connected it's just the way it is and then so if you start operating in that space and understanding there's a spectrum to energy there's high vibration low vibration you'll understand that intentions are a part of this process so when you when you buy meat or anything from a regenerative farm there was a lot of mindfulness that went into this space and so when you have someone that's caring about not only the food that they're giving the animals to the animals to the soil to this whole process that means there's a lot of love and that love is being poured into this product you know when you go to work and you put this energy out there and you create money well now money is your currency it's your energy and you take that energy that you that's that's you and you purchase this thing and then you take this thing and then you consume it you are dealing in energy whether it's like mm. actual physical food or what have you and so this is how i operate in all aspects of my life as well not just with my food but my clothes mm. um, with my furniture um, i pay attention to who's making it what went into it like real feng shui is in my house mm -hmm. Uh, and, and conscious consumerism is a really tough one for a lot of people 
um, because of convenience. You know, like when I want a bookshelf, I'm not just going to Ikea and buying something that's made in China, mm. you know, and if you just do research on that, you would probably do the same. Mm. So it's like, oh, okay, if I want a bookshelf, I'm going to find someone locally in the area. I know where they got their things. It's going to take three or four months for it to be made. You know, I don't get that instant gratification, but I know like when that comes through to my home, there's, there's high energy. There's a lot of love that went into it. And so that's how I kind of do all things, even the businesses support, like the apps that I use to the companies that I buy from. Um, it's a big, big component to my own process each and every day. And I think that's what allows me to operate also at a, at a high conscious space. Yeah. Conscious no, it's beautiful, man. We, we definitely vibe on a very similar yeah. level with everything we preach here with an animal based framework, but also coming beautifully full circle back to everything that you just said is fundamentally rooted in presence. If you're just shopping mm-hmm. with the most convenience and it's the path of least resistance, it's, it's not very present. It's not very mindful. You're not really thinking and following through to the end where that dollar's going. Yes. Is it supporting local and organic and things that you feel good about? Or is it supporting these 6,000 mile supply chains that are not sustainable and are causing havoc in so many other areas? So again, presence again is the portal. Presence Yo, is the power. Awareness, right? Yeah. Presence, awareness. And what I've realized is that, you know, we go through this life and, and essentially there's, there's these forks in the road and there's fucking infinite forks in the road. And a lot of times we're not aware of these forks in the road and we kind of meet them and we just kind of make a choice. And sometimes we accidentally service others in that fork, but most of the time we're servicing self. And I always use this good example, like, you know, once we become aware that plastic water bottles are shit, you know, in every sense of the way it is, it's like, you know, the plastic that you're drinking, bad for the environment, it's probably sitting out in the sun before it was brought in, what have you. Then you become aware of like smart water and it's created by Coca-Cola and it's shit water. It's not good water in any way. So say you're driving in your car and you get thirsty and you pull over and there's no options outside of like this, this now new awareness that you have of this water. So right here you have a fork in the road and you can either service self and buy the water or you can get back in your car and maybe put some Google maps on and where is a mountain Valley spring water located in a Mm -hmm. glass bottle Oh shit, it's 15 minutes away. Okay, cool. So here's a choice. Here's a choice. And, you know, and then you service others. And so that's kind of how I look at a lot of things. And and sometimes it's like, fuck, I really want that. Or like, fuck, I really, damn it, I want it right now. Or like, you know, or I can't find it anywhere else. And it's just made of this one space. And, you know, and I have to sit with that. I have to sit with that right there and like, okay, where, where does this align with me? And so as I, as I really have chosen more service to others at, at these forks that I come across every single day, um, my life has only improved. My mm. reality has only improved. Like it, it's, and I really feel that's how we, we make powerful change. Yeah, that's dope. All of, all of self-growth, self-improvement can basically be boiled down to kind of like the marshmallow test. Are you going to take the one easy marshmallow now or are you going to wait for the two? Um, you know, easy choice is hard life. Harder mm-hmm. choice is easier life. You know, it's never convenient to have to go 20 minutes out of your way, but it's the better choice and you know that. And yes. if you can honor that, then how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah, And, yeah. and that really bleeds mm-hmm. into a lot. So that's that's really cool, man. Let's chat to some, uh, let's see, see what we got here on uh, who's calling in or what questions we got submitted and we can riff on these too. Cool. So uh, I believe we got Chris, who's calling in from North Carolina. Are you with us, Chris? What can we do for you today? Hey, thank you for having me. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, we got you, man. Yes, sir. 
Hey, um, I, I missed your name, sir, but a uh, beautiful story you just told there. Hmm. I think it's important to highlight that these uh, plant medicines have been used for centuries and for, you know, by tribes, by villages, and, you know, to heal, like, you know, marijuana, DMT, like you just said, <clears throat> uh, you know, psilocybin, ayahuasca, all these are have healing properties, right, that heal trauma, and they've been used for centuries, but of course, uh, thanks to the elites and the oppressors of these world have worked to demonize those plants because, of course, that's not what they're trying to promote. But anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> my question is surrounding um, so parents. How do we start adding to the conversation topics like, you know, non-toxic pro- product, products to clean and, you know, talking about dish detergents, candles, um, uh, laundry stuff, you know, all this stuff that um, has been shown now that it's not really um, good for us. So, and I know that with any new stuff, resistance is part of the human mm-hmm, mm-hmm. reaction. So how do we manage all those conversations? Speaking from a parent, a parent, I bet you can hear him too, but parent mm-hmm. of a one-year-old boy. Great question. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, you know, I think, I think leading by example is always the best case in this type of situation. I remember when I started becoming aware of essentially all the products or just many aspects of what was essentially wrong with the system, I first got into um, trying to just tell everybody what they should or shouldn't yeah. do. And and that that's a funny space to operate from because one of the laws of the universe is to not infringe on free will. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the person or even the soul definitely doesn't like that. So I think I think what we can do is just start operating from that space ourselves and, and, and and leading by loving example. And, and that will, that will really, uh, spike curiosity, especially as you start raising your vibration, whether it's you practicing your own breath work and meditation, you know, like, Hey, you know, honey, I'm going to go for a walk instead of like, Hey, you want to come for a walk? You know, are you going to watch TV? And like, we can, we can fall into almost like guilting people in some ways. I I used to do that all the time Mm -hmm. in my past relationship where I like, I knew I didn't want to watch TV anymore at night. And I wanted to like go for a walk, but I almost didn't have the strength to go by myself. Yeah. I was like, I needed her to do it. And then if she didn't do it, I would just sit with it. So, mm. or, or then I would maybe guilt her into going, um, you know, so I think for me, what really worked, um, later on was just by leading by example, doing the work myself, radiating as much as I can, you know, bringing awareness to things also without tying fear to it. I remember when I became more aware of the products and stuff like that. And when I would explain what was what was in these products it was coming from a place of fear as opposed to like for example when i became aware of like the food industry the reason why i wanted to buy land is because i can't trust the government because the government's corrupt they're poisoning us they're poisoning our food and this is how i spoke as opposed to ah you know what i want to buy land because i really want to connect with the earth and i recurred that like when i use the soil with my bare hands the soil picks up on exactly what i need and how cool is that? Wouldn't it be cool to have like grow our own fruits and vegetables, to have our own chickens? And it had nothing to do with the government. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with fear. 
Like, and so there's a really cool way that you can kind of share this information, one without needing them to, to follow you to feel okay or validated, um, but also to maybe to get them curious. Yeah, I love that, man. I think um, that point about fighting for freedom from a place of fear mm-hmm. is still going to keep you stuck. So yes. really check in the energy. Like we know there's a lot of bullshit in the environment now from cleaning products to polyester underwear to food to water. You, you just have to be aware of it and choose not to be trapped by the fear. You know what what worked for me on top of echoing a lot of what Justin just said is I, I wasn't pushy with my loved ones, but I was persistent and I was consistent and I just kept dangling that tiny little carrot, not in a forcing way, because I made that mistake early on like you. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. the person that wanted to shout it from the rooftops. You need to do this. You have to do this. And I learned the hard way that the more you push, the more you'll push someone away. So instead, it has to be an energy of like pulling through your example and through your consistency and inviting the conversation. And and like Chris, look, man, the fact that you're even here asking this question with a one and a three year old when life is crazy, sorry, a one and a three month old when life is even crazier and you're being intentional about this stuff tells me the trajectory you're on is a positive one. So it's just checking in always with that human and that energy of which you're approaching it. And I think you're, I think you're going to do all right, man. Just stay patient, stay loving, stay consistent and stay persistent. What else we got, crew? Uh, We got one question from Chelsea. Uh, She asked, I'm 31 years old and have had awful knees that crunch and crackle when I do any kind of squat movement. Mm -hmm. However, no pain for the most Mm -hmm. part. I've been trying to get back into the gym after five years of not. What exercises and moves can I do to help build my knees back up? Healthy knees. What do you think, man? I think it's important to understand the crunching and the crackling doesn't necessarily mean anything bad. Mm-hmm. Um, perfectly okay that your knees make sound. My knees make all the sounds perfectly appropriate. I think there's been a misconception with like things making noise or like it's perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I think uh, knees over toes guys does a great mm. job with building strong, healthy knees. One of the things that I really, really enjoy as of lately is toe squats. Uh, mm. literally in the catcher's position and just doing toe squats um, has really made my knees bulletproof and then nordic curls nordic curls on the Great opposite movement. side is is by far i think the best thing for building strong healthy knees so nordic curls and i mean he covers all the bases the tip yeah. bar so like tip bar knees over toes stuff like toe squats and uh, nordic curls and you will have bulletproof knees for sure yeah um i don't think there's really anything else unless you, you know. no dude i mean i think they they map out that's in their fullest expressions if you can do like full nordic curl gangster mm-hmm. hamstrings mm-hmm. and knee strength mm-hmm. but there's always regression so wherever you're at on your journey just like start with the regression use assistance bands whatever it is nothing to add there because that would be my same advice all i'd say is you know a bit of extra supplemental protein and collagen to really help with repair in fact let's throw you a bottle for calling in and being a part of the show of uh joint strength and repair i know we didn't speak to you live chelsea but i know we was trying to get you earlier so we'll get you a bottle of that good old collagen as well to rebuild those knees as you add in the strength stuff from justin so great question thank you keep rocking knees over toes send <laughs> go over there check it out cool this is the last question uh this is from one he asks once in a blue moon i will get a painful headache but i prefer to not rely on pain medication because they don't uh, occur frequently do you have any non-medication solutions for relieving painful headaches yeah you know again a lot of this stuff i think we talked today it could be a little outside the realm of a lot of people but again you are the alchemist and this is really important. So if if you come across a headache and you have a headache, I, I, I ask you to sit with it for a moment and to give it your presence, like really focus on where you're feeling the headache, where you're feeling the sensations. 
And then after a brief moment of sitting with it, I know this sounds wild, but ask it to kindly leave. Just ask it to kindly leave and see what happens. And you can also do this with your feet on the grass. Mm. Your, your body will discharge a lot of um, the energy that could be causing the headache. And I know this sounds really far out, but this stuff truly works. And if, if you are setting powerful intentions while, while commanding this, so to speak, you can really relieve these headaches without medication um, just by, by learning that you are the alchemist. Mm. Pain, is suff- uh, pain is inevitable and suffering is a choice is mm. a quote that I like a lot. And I think we can suffer our way with things like that by becoming identified with it. So I think Justin's advice there of like sitting with it, developing a relationship with it. Usually we want to run away from pain or numb it. So try breathing into it. And that presence of these practices, whether it's putting your feet in the grass, breathing with it, sitting with it, might even highlight some other issues that could be one of the causes of this. Like maybe you sit with it for a second. You're like, oh, of course I've got a headache. I've looked at a screen for 12 friggin hours today or i haven't got outside or water or water i'm dehydrated or my posture is terrible so Mm -hmm. it's without again without the awareness you're not going to be able to change that so i think it's always presence that's the overarching theme um in in droves today is practice presence whether it's breathwork meditation put your feet in the grass again go do those things Thanks for being a part of the show, fam. And uh, Justin, this was really fun. I really enjoyed kind of like the map that we traversed today. Um, The floor is yours for the last couple of minutes in terms of, you know, what's next for you? What's coming down the pipe? What are you excited about? Where can people go to find you? Stay up to date? All of the fun stuff, whatever was on your heart and mind. Yeah, people can find me, I think, on my social media, Justin D. Lovato. That's a good place to find me. I'm on there. I'm very active on there, sharing a lot of what we talked about today. Uh, my website is I am uh, no, I am that's my old website Nirvana Mind and Body dot com or just Nirvana Mind Body my apologies dot com you can find me there as well um, on the horizon right now as I mentioned before we got in I'm really getting excited about uh, stepping into more public speaking motivational speaking I feel I can impact a lot more people and um, longer segments like this I think is really where I want to kind of lean into so more podcasts. Um, more public speaking and connecting with more people. That's my main focus right now. And uh, yeah, just excited to just consistently be of service and just kind of share what I know with as many people as possible. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm pumped to do what I do. I'm very, very grateful that I get to do what I do, which is help people on a daily basis and have wonderful conversations like this. I mean, I couldn't ask for anything better in life, to be honest. Like this is a, this is a cool job I have. Yeah, it is, man. It's pretty rad. Thank, thank you for sharing your gifts with us and thank you for connecting with our tribe. I think they're going to get a lot out of following you as well. So mm, good job, you. brother. Appreciate you. Fam, stay woke. The, the good kind of woke, yeah, not the good woke. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, we will see you next week. Peace, love, Ciao. light, all of that stuff. Ciao. Bow. All right, friends. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps to spread this message of radical health. We'll see you next week.